Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy B. Wilson. Uh, Tracy, did you watch Can You Ever Forgive Me? I did not. You should, because it's great. But uh, I had watched it in the lead up to the Oscars. Um, and in it... The main character, who's based on a real person, Lee Israel, claims that she is working on a Fanny Bryce biography. I promise to anybody who has not seen the movie, this is in no way a spoiler. There is a minor spoiler I will give you, which is that one other character says, who the heck cares about Fanny Bryce? And I'm like, I do. Um, (laughs) So uh, this got me thinking about how little I actually knew about Fanny Bryce. I had seen the fictionalized version of her life, which we'll talk about at the end. Um, But then I was like, I wonder how much of that is true. So then I fell down the research rabbit hole and now it's a two-part episode. Yeah. It was one of those things where I was, like, at the word count where we would normally start to be like, okay, this is about an episode long, and I mm-hmm. had barely gotten through, like, her childhood. <laughs> I was yep. like, uh-oh. Um, so then I just kept writing and then pared some things down, and now it's a two-part episode on yeah. Fanny Bryce. Uh, if folks have been listening to the podcast for an incredibly long time— Uh, She is mentioned in an old episode about notable vaudevillians, but it's like two and a half paragraphs, not nearly a thorough look at her at all. And her life was very fascinating. Like, one, she really made a space for herself on stage as a comedian, 
primarily because she loved to perform, but she felt that she was never going to be pretty enough to be taken seriously as an actress or, like, as even as a chorus girl. She was like, I don't fit in with these women. And her personal life was a, a complete and total roller coaster. I made a joke to a friend of mine while we were talking about me researching this, that if you made a drinking game where you drank every time Fanny made a poor choice about men, you would be utterly hammered by the end of her life story. Please don't do that, uh, because it really would be dangerous at this point. But uh, she really, at the same time, was sort of triumphant, and she remains the original funny girl to many people, making awkward kind of her brand from the time she was a teenager. She was born on October 29th, 1891, the third of four children born to Rose and Charles Borash. Her name when she was born was Fania, or maybe Fania. Her immigrant family lived on Manhattan's Lower East Side, and her mother, who had been born Rose Stern, had moved from Hungary to New York in 1877 when she was 10 years old. She moved to live with an aunt after her mother died and worked as a laborer in a series of jobs. Her father, Charles, moved to New York in the 1880s after serving in the French Army. And it's not really clear whether he was discharged from military service or whether he deserted. Rose's and Charles's relationship wasn't entirely romantic. Rose had been worried about her prospects with another suitor, and when Charles, who was a bartender, proposed using his sister as a messenger of his intentions toward her, Rose eventually agreed, thinking it was better for her than any of her other options. Yeah, not not one of history's great romances. <laughs> um and related to our recent episode on cruise ships, uh, Fanny and her family traveled via ocean liner to France to visit her father's family in 1896. And during that trip, Fanny, who was traveling in steerage, learned that she could go upstairs to the first-class area and get treats from wealthy passengers by putting on a sad expression. Sort of her first acting job. <laughs> Not long after that first visit to France, the family opened a candy and stationery store in Newark, New Jersey, where they had moved. They lived upstairs from the business. Rose ran the business, and Charles had an ongoing card game in the back room. After two years of running the store, Rose opened a bar because that was a much more lucrative business. Rose started running a lot of other bars as well as sort of a roving manager, but Charles uh, struggled with alcohol, and he did not work. Yeah, Charles uh, was kind of nicknamed French Charlie, and he was kind of this really fun person to have around, but he did not really have any sort of work ethic to speak of. So Rose was really shouldering all of the burden of basically every bit of family business. And despite Charles's lack of ambition, the family was financially stable thanks to Rose and basically middle class because she had a lot of business acumen. And she worked really, really hard. So much so that Fanny got in the habit of raiding the Borash family pantry and then taking things from it to the households of friends who were less fortunate. So she would basically just go take things out of their pantry and bring them to a friend's house. And she would tell her friends that her mother had accidentally bought too much at the grocery store and that they needed to give it away or it would go to waste because she also didn't want people to feel weird that she was compelled to give them charity groceries. While this behavior was generous, Fanny wasn't exactly a model child otherwise. She didn't keep her thievery exclusive to the pantry. She stole money from her mother as well and from other family friends and then from stores. She got caught stealing art supplies from a department store with her brother, and that scared her straight on the matter of shoplifting. But she also exhibited an entrepreneurial spirit as a kid. 
She had the classic lemonade stand to make some cash. She gave sewing lessons to friends for a small stipend as well. Yeah, she kind of inherited her mother's uh, proclivity to just hustle all the time and always be trying to make money, uh, which is really smart and astute. I kind of wish I had had more of that as a kid. But performing was also a part of Fanny's early life. So when her family had Sunday brunch, they would have it in the bar, and she would get up on the counter and entertain her parents and her siblings. Her performances got applause and nickels from her father, Charles, who thought it was all delightful. Her mother was a little less enthused with this whole performance. When she was 10, Fanny started working in a Newark department store as a gift wrapper. It was a pretty short engagement because Fanny told her coworkers that her mother had died and that her father was blind and the whole family was destitute. So her coworkers organized a clothing drive for her and that got the attention of the store management who contacted her mother. Her mother naturally was mortified and then Fanny's job was over. Yeah. Uh, Rose was mortified not just because her daughter had lied and said she was dead, but also because she was a regular customer at this store and had worked really hard to be, like, a a middle-class woman. And so then to have people think she was destitute was horribly embarrassing. Uh, There were multiple levels of mortification going on there. Fanny's parents separated the following year. Rose moved out with the children, and she became a realtor. She left the bar business behind. Charles became a bookmaker at the local racetrack. And while Charles initially visited the children often, those visits were always pretty brief and carefully timed to periods when Rose was out of the house working. Fanny started her career as a professional actress, sort of in quotation marks, during that time. She charged her school friends a penny to see her perform melodramas in the basement of her house. I did this in the basement of my house when I was a child, but I didn't charge people a penny. (laughs) I know, me too. I'm like, I could have been making bank off of that. (laughs) (laughs) They could also bring a piece of fruit if they did not have a penny. And she used her acting skills uh, much the same way she had on their crossing of the Atlantic to Europe to get things like free fares on the trolley to Coney Island and snacks for herself and her brother Lou, who was her ongoing accomplice in all of this mischief. Yeah, they were pros at basically, like, looking like sad, destitute children, and people would be like, oh, do you want some candy, a sandwich, an apple? Like, they were always basically, like, making free ride vacation days for themselves. She also answered a job listing to work as a page in a dress shop, running errands and the like, and she skipped school to work there every single day until her mother discovered the situation. But that pattern was already set. Fanny had been so cavalier about attending school that by the time she was a teenager, she was four years behind her peers, which made her not want to go because that was embarrassing and a pain in the neck to try to catch up. And so she skipped and fell even further behind. Most people estimate that really in terms of attending school, eighth grade is about as far as she really got. On a Thursday night in 1906, Fanny decided to try her luck at a Brooklyn vaudeville theater's amateur night, sort of. The plan when she went to the theater was just to watch from the audience, but when she and her friend got there, they realized they did not have enough money for tickets. So Fanny lied and said that they were performing so that they could get in through the stage door. They figured they would watch for a while and then leave, but then she got pushed onto the stage by the stage manager without any warning. This was initially quite scary for the teenager, and she nearly started crying. Uh, Fanny was a ham, but she was not expecting any of this to happen, so she was really ill-prepared. But with encouragement that was being shouted from a few kids in the audience who knew Fanny and had watched her perform in the neighborhood, 
she eventually asked the orchestra to play a ballad that she knew, and she started singing. And when it was over, the crowd cheered, and Fanny ended up collecting more than $4 in coins that had been thrown onto the stage, as well as the amateur night prize, which was $10. And then the theater owner, Frank Keeney, told Fanny that she should try out at other amateur contests as well. Fanny took this advice, and she started performing at other amateur nights all around Brooklyn. She won the majority of them that she entered. She also started developing an actual act with specific songs and an occasional comedy bit. She would go to these shows to compete and perform, and she would make as much as $30 a week. She gave most of this to her mother, but she realized that she would not be able to be an amateur forever. And she also felt the pull of Manhattan. Yeah, that habit of giving her money to her mother lasted really almost throughout her life. Um, Rose also decided to move herself and the kids to Manhattan. So she was, Fanny was not the only one who was thinking she would like to move there. And they all relocated to East 82nd Street. And once there, Fanny hustled like crazy to get a real entertainment career going. She wasn't even 15 yet, but she understood that she had to make connections if she wanted to get anywhere. So she hung out where performers did so that she could make those connections. And through those connections she was able to forge, she and a friend were able to get bit parts in the play A Millionaire's Revenge at the West End Theater. As part of the play, Fanny, who appeared under the name Jenny Waters, played an artist's model who popped out of a pie. One night when the play was being staged on tour in Pittsburgh, an accident tipped the pie stage piece over while Fanny was still inside of it. She was cut by the light bulbs that were part of this piece of scenery. That was the end of her run in A Millionaire's Revenge. And we're about to get into the next phase of Fanny's early work in show business, but first we will pause for a quick word from one of our sponsors. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and 
explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if everyone's being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. Realizing that the amateur night scene in Manhattan wasn't exactly booming, it wasn't as popular there as it was in Brooklyn, Fanny got a day job in a movie house. And during the day, she sang and played piano along with the images on screen. But she also did all kinds of odd jobs for them, like making signs and even working at the box office. A co-worker told Fanny about a show that needed some chorus girls, and so she had her mother call in sick for her. And she went to what she thought was an audition. Really, though, they just looked her over and asked uh, her to leave some information. She was informed by postcard two weeks later that she had gotten the job and she needed to start rehearsals at the New Amsterdam Theater on Broadway. She annoyed the producers by trying to sing over the other chorus girls, but then she turned down her hamminess to try to make them more happy. Then her dancing skills, or lack thereof, she had none. They they got her fired anyway. <laughs> She could not keep up with the other girls in the chorus. Um, And she ended up, she was so embarrassed, she told her mom that they had fired her because her legs were too skinny. Um, She used that rejection, though, as fuel, and she decided that she would take dancing lessons. But the teacher that she hired was really just taking on students to fill roles in her touring theater company. So essentially, she was having people pay her instead of her paying them for the work they were doing. The students did not get paid, and they had to do offstage work as well. And Fanny learned really, really quickly through this experience that there were plenty of people in the entertainment industry who were happy to use hopefuls with no intention of ever actually helping them with their careers. Next, she turned to burlesque, working as a chorus girl still, but she still couldn't dance all that well. She got cast in the transatlantic burlesquers anyway, and they put Fanny, who was tall and pretty gawky, into the back where nobody could see if she got... The step's wrong. I'm going to say this is a technique that directors were still using. 
when I was in theater. <laughs> it's it's the uh, the trick as old as time, I think. Yeah. Uh, my mother described me one time as awkward girl at the back of the chorus. Oh, no. <laughs> at this point, we should note, it was not burlesque in the sense that the word is used now. This was a variety show that was farcical and irreverent, where Broadway hopefuls would try to learn their craft. Striptease acts that might be associated more with it today were not part of it then. No, it was still considered really lowbrow by a lot of, um, like, Broadway actors, but it did not have the the sexualized connotation that it does today. Some of their acts were a little bit saucy, but not, not the same thing that you would think when you say burlesque now. But even in this burlesque circuit, Fanny's shortcomings were an issue. Producers and directors who recognized her really, really strong singing talent and her natural abilities in comedy worked to find ways to use her to show those talents off. But that usually meant that she was in sort of a stoogy punchline role. And she wanted to be a real entertainer. She didn't want her presence to just be a joke. So she tried to give herself a fresh start and adopted the last name Bryce. That was the name of a family that her family had been close with. She started touring with a new production, still in a pretty jokey role, and she started every asking everyone from chorus girls to stagehands to teach her dance steps. She would trade clothing and small amounts of money for these lessons. She got good enough in the first month of touring that she demanded to be put back into the regular chorus. And then from there, she quickly progressed into the second row and then to the front row as she got better, and the company shifted with cast members leaving the production. When she finally got to play small roles, Fanny was actually really good. Yeah, she had kind of put together her own kind of performer's boot camp, learning how to dance really quickly and practicing everything. Uh, So when she finally did kind of get a shot at a little bit more, she was completely ready. And she soon moved on to another touring company. It was one that her younger brother Lou was working with. And they had needed a quick replacement for a female lead. And Fanny stepped right in and learned the part in two days so that they could continue their tour uninterrupted. From there, Fanny continued to build a career. She worked with Irving Berlin to develop specialty numbers that would become her signature songs. So some of these, like Sadie Salome Go Home, were sung in a Yiddish accent. And this was mocking a really popular trend at the time of actresses doing their own version of the Dance of the Seven Veils. Fanny developed the Sadie of the song into a full character as she performed it, and that became part of Fanny's comedy repertoire for years. We have to pause for a little minute here and talk about the kind of comedy that this was. In putting on a heavy Yiddish accent, Fanny was joining in on what was known as dialect comedy, which was really popular at the time. It would be seen as completely racist today, but it was very common and popular in the early half of the 20th century. And Fanny, whose parents were Jewish, and also who grew up in a very mixed New York neighborhood where she learned the accents of a lot of different people, kind of straddled this line between farce and outright mockery pretty carefully. Even as she was playing up stereotypes, though, she was really mindful that there could be Jewish audience members, so she never wanted to go too far with it. But it seems like it wasn't so much that she was being culturally sensitive. She just didn't want the crowd to turn on her. She was similarly careful in all of her comedy. She would satirize, but never really sharply criticize with her jokes and her caricatures. The barbs that she had, there were barbs, but they stayed pretty gentle. 
Yeah, she generally had the the reputation for always being really good-natured in making fun of people, um, never <laughs> cruel. There's a, a quote from RuPaul that I can't say because we don't swear on this podcast, okay. but there's a good one of just, you know, it's okay to be sassy, but don't be mean. <laughs> yeah. That's the difference. Um, which carries through today, although, again, these, like, caricatures would not be cool today no matter how you did them, I think. As she improvised through various performances, she also got really good at letting the accidents that could derail most performers, for example, like an ill-fitting costume that made her move strangely or making a misstep, just become part of the comedy. So instead of letting an accident become an awkward embarrassment, she just kind of amplified it and it became part of the act. And through this approach, she developed a really keen sense of physical comedy. But she also sometimes irritated her fellow performers as she would play up accidental gags that got laughs and sometimes take a scene or a number completely off course in the process. At 17, Fanny was signed to a three-year contract by burlesque theater producer Max Spiegel, He wanted her mother to sign it because she was only 17, but she lied and said that her mother couldn't write, so she would have to sign it for herself. As she worked through her first season, she fine-tuned her act to optimize the comedic elements of it and soon became one of the production's star performers. Yeah, that's another another lie that I'm sure Rose would have been really irritated at, like, I'm literate. What are you talking about? Uh, She did not enjoy all of these fibs that Fanny told that kind of demeaned her and made her seem uh, like she was not the accomplished woman she was. At 18, Fanny got married to an entrepreneur named Frank White who owned several barber shops. This was definitely not a case of a deep and abiding love. Uh, It kind of repeated the family history of like, well, this seems like an okay idea. Uh, Fanny was generally kind of distrustful of men. She felt she was not a great beauty, and so she presumed that men who acted interested in her were being patronizing or were just, they wanted something, and that was it. But Frank had followed her from city to city while she was on tour to see Fanny every night and take her out to dinners. And even though she did not love Frank, she agreed to the wedding, in part uh, with the encouragement of a friend of hers who was like, but then you'll be settled, you'll be a wife and have a life. Um... The marriage, however, was as brief as the courtship, and after just a few days together, Frank left Fanny on the road with her theater troupe. They never saw one another again. The marriage was formally ended with a divorce two years later, and Fanny concentrated on her career in the interim. In 1910, Fanny heard from Florenz Ziegfeld Jr., who, at one point, just as a side note, he had managed Eugen Sandow. That's the strong man who we talked about in our previous podcast on Katie Sanduina, the one she famously bested in a strength competition. So Florenz Ziegfeld sent Fanny a telegram, and it read, quote, Will you come to see me at your earliest convenience stop, Florenz Ziegfeld? Ziegfeld didn't actually know anything about Fanny, but his colleague Jerry Siegel had scouted her in her burlesque show and told Ziegfeld he should snatch her up for the Ziegfeld Follies. Siegel had also found out that because Fanny had signed her own contract at the age of 17, it technically wasn't legally binding, so Ziegfeld wouldn't have to buy her out of it. Fanny thought the Ziegfeld telegram was a prank that was being pulled by her castmates, but it was real. And after she had a brief meeting, she was signed to the Ziegfeld Follies for two years. She was making $75 a week for the first year and $100 a week for the second year. Her mother, Rose, later negotiated that to $100 for the first year and $150 for the second, which is sort of evidence that 
maybe Fanny could have been relying on her mom instead of lying about her. <laughs> right, and that's like uh, kind of touted as the one time Rose ever got involved in Fanny's contracts, but clearly <laughs> she did the right thing, so maybe she should have been involved more. Um, things did not go super-duper smoothly for Fanny in her new job as a Ziegfeld girl, but we're going to get into that after we hear from one of the sponsors that keeps Stuff You Missed in History class going. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs, and if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode, hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if everyone's being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products, 
products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. While Fanny made a positive impression in rehearsal with her singing, she had a little problem with lateness that consistently angered director Abe Erlanger. When Erlanger chastised Fanny, she did the unthinkable. She stood up to him, even though he threatened to have her fired. Uh, she basically, like, copped to the fact that she was late, but she's like, nobody gets to talk to me like this. Uh, but when the Follies made their debut in Atlantic City ahead of moving to Broadway, Fanny's number got a standing ovation. And she told Erlanger that he owed her an apology as she exited the stage. Both Fanny's first and second season with the Follies were a little underwhelming, in spite of that really auspicious start. She was often seen as one of the anchors of the production, but overall, neither the 1910 or 1911 touring shows were especially huge hits. They were sort of a mix of uneven material. This was a time, though, when she was first introduced to the glamorous aspects of a life in entertainment. She actually spent a good bit of time with Ziegfeld and his girlfriend at the time, Lillian Lorraine. Though the entrepreneur found Fanny's taste gauche and made Lillian teach her how to select proper clothing for nights on the town. Apparently, when she got a little bit of money and started buying her own clothes, she went complete tropical parrot, uh, which I applaud and think she should have kept forever, but that's just me. As the Follies toured, Fanny became more and more of a showbiz gal. She was always fascinated by and drawn to anything that she thought was luxurious or sophisticated. At the end of Fanny's contract with Ziegfeld, he did not choose to renew it. This came at the same time as news that Fanny's father, Charlie, had died. He had largely vanished from Fanny's life after he and Rose had split, but the news still had an effect on his daughter. Fanny felt isolated during this time. Her mother had hated her father by the time Charlie died. She just didn't have anybody else to talk to about it. Similarly, Rose just saw the entertainment industry as a job. She did not understand the heartache that Fanny felt about being dropped by Ziegfeld. And there is, incidentally, a little bit of inconsistency about... Ziegfeld dropping Fanny and whether he actually intended to or not. So the Follies company manager, Ed Rosenbaum, had told Fanny that Ziegfeld did not want to see her when he was delivering a message to one of her colleagues that she was with that the producer did want to have a meeting with. He basically said, he wants to see you, not you. And Fanny took that as like the sign that she was done. But later when they talked about it, Ziegfeld told Fanny that this had all been a misunderstanding and he thought that Fanny would have just automatically come to talk to him about a new contract. Uh, the matter was never conclusively settled. Fanny never fully bought into this idea that she could have had a, a, a contract renewal. And by the time that this all happened and Ziegfeld told her that was not the case, Fanny had already signed a contract elsewhere. That elsewhere was with the Schubert brothers. Fanny asked for and got $450 a week with the Schuberts. That was way more than she had made with Ziegfeld. And she had signed with them just days after the end of her time with Ziegfeld. So while she had money saved up to live comfortably for at least a year, she didn't need to dip into her savings that much, just long enough to fill a really small gap of a few months before her work with the Schuberts started. She ended up taking a vaudeville job during that time. She was hugely successful there, with one reviewer saying, quote, Miss Bryce is chock full of unction and has a keen sense of travesty. 
I absolutely love that line. I so want deeply. it on a shirt. What if we <laughs> what if we did that? I think we can. Uh, Fanny's first show with the Schuberts was the touring version of Whirl of Society, which had already been on Broadway starring Al Jolson. And the tour was expected to be a moneymaker because Jolson had agreed to stay for it. So the Schuberts just thought, we're going to rake in cash left and right. Fanny's part was written in for her. It was a maid named Marcel who spoke with a heavy Yiddish accent, so it played on that uh, kind of comedy she had been doing. But she and Jolson had some friction because he complained about one of her songs, which she sang in what she believed was a black dialect comedy style, and he did not like it. That song was cut from the show after his complaints. Early on in her run with the Schubert troupe, Fanny met a man named Jules Whitford Arnstein, who went by Nick Arnold when they met after a performance of Whirl of Society in Baltimore. Fanny and a friend from the show went to Nick's suite with another man named Frank McGee for dinner the next week when the show was in Philadelphia. Fanny was impressed by the fancy digs, but it was the bathroom that really captured her heart. Bryce would later say that she was born again in Nick's bathroom because she was so completely taken with his monogrammed silk pajamas and his fine toiletries and his multiple toothbrushes. Some reports say that he had seven toothbrushes. Uh, She thought that she had at last met a man of complete refinement and good taste, and she became completely enthralled with him. Really, though, this man was a mess. He claimed to be a businessman, at least to Fanny, but in reality, he was a con man, a gambler, and a swindler. He had an arrest record. He had been taken into custody several times in various European cities. He told Fanny about that, but not about his his wife, Carrie Greenthal. Fanny found Nick's history, at least what she knew of it, sort of thrilling and romantic. Oh, Fanny. Uh, shortly after the two met, Nick, which he went by normally, he he generally just started going by Nick Arnstein, moved into the apartment that Fanny shared with her mother. Rose was not enthused. Bryce's mother was instantly suspicious of Nick. She saw through his whole, like, I'm a worldly cool guy trick. Uh, and she told Fanny that she thought he was no good. But Fanny, who had always kept romance at arm's length prior to this point, fell deeply in love, and she was not hearing any kind of reason. She described this period of her life as feeling like she was in heaven. Even as the realities of Nick's life started making themselves known, Fanny really refused to see him as anything but a cultured, sophisticated catch of a man. She found out about his wife, but never brought it up with him. Eventually, Nick told her about his wife himself, and she decided she would stay with him and wait for him to get divorced so that they could be together. And Fanny paid for everything. Furniture, clothes, travel, to the point that she ran out of pocket money. Uh, I had mentioned earlier that she got in the habit very early on of giving Rose her, her income, and that continued for a long time. Because while she was still the primary breadwinner and had largely taken charge of the family business, at least in terms of being the the earner, Rose still really handled the finances. And Rose put everything she could of Fanny's income into savings not to be touched because she felt really strongly that that was the only way to build security. Fanny actually ended up pawning some of her jewelry to surprise Nick by traveling to London with him for the summer where he was allegedly going for business. She basically just showed up and was like, I'm going on this cruise with you. Fanny also used this trip, though, to do some business of her own. Once they got to England, she appeared in several London shows and she negotiated some very lucrative contracts for her work to appear there. Fanny was incredibly happy on this trip and she felt like she finally had everything that she wanted in life. So with this happy moment, we are going to end part one. It's a nice place to end. 
That bliss is not going to last into part two, though. No, we'll give we'll give Fanny a couple days of blissful, <laughs> blissful moments before it all falls apart. Because it does. Nick is exactly the person he sounds like. Yeah. Don't get attached to him. He's terrible. Um, <laughs> I, uh, oh, Fanny. It's funny because she seems so savvy in some ways and then became this strange, naive version of herself the second she met him. We'll talk about just how deeply he shifted her life and all of the problems that arose from it uh, next time around. But now I have listener mail, and it's cool. Are you ready, Tracy? I super am. You really are. You don't know that you are, but you are. We got thanked in a book. What? Uh-huh. And I will read uh, the the author, who is Stephanie Morrill, I or Morrill, I don't know how she pronounces it, uh, wrote us a card and sent us copies. Uh, she writes, Dear Tracy and Holly, I imagine you receive packages like this all the time, but I couldn't resist. In 2017, when I listened to your two-part episode on Executive Order 9066, I was deeply moved. Being a young adult author, my thoughts turned to the teens whose lives were interrupted by the evacuation. I thought, what if an Italian-American girl was in love with a Japanese-American boy, and when his family was taken away, hers got to stay, and this turned into the enclosed book? Uh, So she wrote this book, which is called Within These Lines, and uh, she very sweetly put a thank you to us in the back, which is nice. Just darling. It's very cool. So um, thank you so much, Stephanie. I'm I'm always awed by people who churn out books Mm -hmm. um, because I don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had many stabs at them and then realized that's not really what I ever want to do. Uh, but if you would like to write to us, you can do so at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. You can also find us across the spectrum of social media as Missed in History. Uh, you can also find us at mistinhistory.com. That's our website where we have every episode of the show that has ever existed, as well as... Uh, show notes from any of the ones that Tracy and I have worked on. You can also subscribe to the show, and we hope that you do. You can do that on the iHeartRadio app, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.